Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to host this podcast where listeners get to hear candid conversations with some amazing female leaders. You'll hear their stories, personal and professional challenges that they've overcome, and more importantly, how they're giving back to their communities and the world. We hope that you find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And speaking of inspirational, joining me today is an amazing, self-made, and fearless woman, one of the top B2B, of one of the top B2B industrial metal recyclers in Chicago. Edie Caminas founded her company in 2004 and has been giving back to her community and other women ever since. So everybody join me in a warm welcome to Edie. Thank you very much, Linda. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. So Edie, I mean, you are just from talking, just meeting you for a short period, you are the epitome of a self-made woman. I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit more from you directly. Just, you know, how did you get started, especially the fact that you financed your own education? I came at the end of a, a tumultuous marriage, and I think I was one of those accidental babies. So they weren't all that interested or involved in, in, in my life. And I, I was sort of, you know, and, and my father was born in 1917. So he felt that girls held a different position in the uh, world than, than boys did. And he uh -huh. had a different set of priorities in terms of educating them or over-educating them in the, in the event of a woman. So it was beholden to me in, as my father's business deteriorated to continue my education, which at that time I was a sophomore in boarding school in Culver, Indiana. And I was able to get on scholarship from my junior year on throughout all of college. That's amazing. And, and so tell us, what did you study? I studied political science, which isn't necessarily relevant to what I do, other than I like to tell people I practice diplomacy every day. <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> Although that's not necessarily a part of government anymore. <laughs> that, that is unfortunately true, yes. So it was important to me to get a good foundation and education. I'm actually first-generation college degree to my family. And I did have an opportunity to work for my dad for a couple of years dismantling nuclear power plants that were never completed for the Tennessee Valley Authority. So that oh. was a wonderful experience. And then I, we closed up shop because there was really no more sites left to be done. And I took a couple of years off, had my first child, and I started to come back into the scrap industry. And I wanted to work for people that knew my father, but my customers didn't know the legacy of the scrap industry of my father. So I understand that you took out a $100,000 home equity loan to finances. Well, as a typical entrepreneur, I'm a type A personality and planning isn't usually the first thing I go to. And I decided very abruptly that the situation I was in was no longer manageable and they were actually going to fire me. And I said, I didn't want to get fired. So I just uh, quit and started my own business on the same day that I quit. Wow. Came up with the name and everything. And so, I had so gone to the bank on. and I asked them for money. I showed them my tax returns and said, can I, you know, please have some money. I'd like to start a business. And they started talking to me about a business plan. And I'm like, no, I, I want to start tomorrow. So <laughs> the styles were not really conducive. And banking has actually been one of my larger obstacles in the earlier part of business years. But, well, it worked though, because you still got the home equity loan, right? Oh no, that was that was a long time ago. Now they 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 don't. I don't have to finance it on my home. <laughs> no, I, I meant that. I meant that. Right. So, so they said no, and I said okay, and I realized I had a home equity loan that had in excess of a hundred thousand on it. I started with a hundred, 
and mm -hmm. I actually hit the market at a very good time. I was able to pay that back rather quickly. And then I went to the bank to get money. And the first bank that I was at said that I needed to have my husband sign for the loan. Oh. And I said, wait, that seems counterintuitive. If I was a man and my wife worked professionally or was a homemaker or whatever it might be, it would be redundant to ask for her signature as it is in this case, and it's marital property. And so I left that bank and I took the terms of what I had been offered and I took it to another bank and they met all the terms. And I, and I said, the only thing I'm not prepared to do is ask my husband to sign the loan, which later on I found out was part of HR 5050, which was signed during the Reagan era 30 years ago and allowed women to take loans and, or borrow money or have bank accounts without their husband's or their father's signature, or perhaps even their big brother. So oh we have come a long way. Yeah, I would, I would say so. <laughs> so tell us about the business. I mean, metal, alpha medical, metal recycling, a little bit more about how many people you have, what it's like. Uh, so alpha in its basic form is an industrial service company. We're working with manufacturers throughout the Chicagoland area. They might be stampers. They might be fabricators, screw machine companies, precision machining, working in the automotive industry. And scrap is generated every day as a byproduct of manufacturing. We work with those customers to make sure that uh, we're handling their scrap in the most efficient way, maximizing their return on it. And then internally that we're running a tight ship, watching our expenses and controlling our purchases against the hedge of our sales and modifying risk throughout it. So there's a, there's a, an, innate, an innate, excuse me, understanding of the market, right? You need to understand that and what's going on. I mean, how, how does that impact with all the fluctuations? Well, I take, for instance, in the, at the end of the third quarter of 2008 was really when the recession hit the scrap industry. People tend uh -huh. to say that scrap is the first indicator. And even some economists such as Alan Greenspan over the years have agreed as well. So, yeah, you have to know what the markets are doing globally and here in New York and watching copper and all the other base metals and knowing what the appetite is amongst the various mills, what their differentials are so that you can stay on top of everything. So, I mean, and you're very much in a male dominated industry. Can you talk a little bit about your biggest challenges, you know, not only in starting out, but even today and what you do, what do you do to overcome them? Well, I mean, the obstacles that I encountered 30 years ago are different than the ones that I encounter today. But I do remember being at my first dinner in Pittsburgh and there were 600 people of which there was only three women. Oh God. And that was, that was pretty shocking. And now you come into the room and it's probably 25% women. So that seems like a lot, but typically in any male dominated industry, when a woman wants to enter it, she better plan on being more knowledgeable than her male counterpart. She better have a better pitch a better way of communicating with them and knowing how the male customer moves through the process of purchasing or selling. Now, would you say that it's innately different from how a woman would do it? I can't say it's innately different because now it's become part of my nature. <laughs> and I only, notice, I only notice how different it is when I am conducting business with a woman in a totally different type of business that I see that the process is a little bit kinder, more delicate and everything like that. So I tend to get the reputation of, I think they used to say years ago, she's like a pit bull. Like, like a pit bull on a pork truck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's the um, impression. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's taken a lot of stick to itiveness. The first no isn't isn't the only no. I, I need to hear no a couple different ways before it registers. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a business. Right, exactly. It works for you. So I'd say that the Pitbull reference is quite a compliment. I guess so. It's, it's pretty much been an industry standard in Chicago that if you know that Edie's coming after one of your accounts, you better make sure that you've got it all in order. <laughs> uh, but that's also because I believe in educating my customers and really showing them how something is suited to work at its best and at its optimal. And I have a lot of engineering, mechanical engineering in my background. So I see the process and I see how to segregate the metal the best way so that it's you're not commingling it and you're getting it directly from the manufacturer in its best form to take it to the market, which allows me to do less and make more for the customer. So in a commodities-driven business, it's the value add that really differentiates you. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the, I know your favorite expressions is failure is not an option. I mean, is that something that uh, your dad and, or, and you haven't talked about your mom, but is that something that was instilled in you early on? I think so. My father uh, was very much an entrepreneur and he had succeeded and failed several times during my lifetime. So that was a lot of what I learned in life from my family and from people that I've worked with along the way is things that I didn't want to do. And then once in a while, you find something that you do want to do. But if it's the culture if it's the way decisions are made or employees are treated, you can constantly look at it and as a continuous process of saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm modeling. This is what I don't want to do. Mm. And so I had a lot of people teach me what I don't want to do. That's great. So do you have any favorite mistakes? I um, realized that uh, when I was thinking about it, I don't know if you would consider it a mistake or a regret, but I had operated the company with a a bank that was catered at that time initially more towards smaller business. And then after the economy changed in eight, nine, and 10, they became one of the larger depositors in Chicago and they moved away from small business, probably because of all the more regulation that was put towards that with the Franklin Dodd Act. So I let a bank reject me four years in a row to increase my line of credit. And then when I brought it to another bank through my accountant, First Midwest Bank, they offered me so much more <laughs> than I currently had. And that really led to the explosive growth that Alpha has had. And honestly, it was like um, like that Ikea commercial when the lady's like running out of the store oh, and yeah. she's telling your husband to hurry up, let's go, let's go, let's go. Somebody made a mistake. It was too cheap. So <laughs> with that, bank, that bank offered me really what I was worth. And I think sometimes as women, and whether it be manufacturing or other related industries, we tend to think that we're, we have less value than we really, really do. And they saw it. And from their help, I was able to propel the companies so that we have now have 20 employees and five trucks and two acres of outside property and, you know, 60,000 square feet interior wise. And that all makes this industry is operated on volume. So I wonder, did you ever go back to that bank and say, look what you missed? Honestly, they... They were the underwriter of an award that I received recently. So they did call on me again. And, and I said, I do have experience with your bank. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave you 10 really good years. So I think that had I moved financial institutions, had I not let them dictate to me my value, I would have moved on and Alpha would be even in a bigger, stronger situation right now. There's an expression, you can look back, but don't stare, right? Exactly. That's why I said to you, I wasn't sure if it was a mistake or a regret. So mm. could have, would have, should have, all those things can, you never quite know how they could have happened. So what, what are your biggest challenges today? 
The labor market is very, very tight. It's very hard to find people of modest skill sets and of, you know, truck drivers are, are a higher skill set and they're very difficult to come by. So the labor market is very, very tight. The commodity market is not that high and there's some uncertainty behind what manufacturing is really, really doing or how long are those orders headed out for? Like, this year might be a year of slower growth than we've had in, in past years. Well, and you're describing factors that are, you know, really to some degree out of your control. Exactly. They're always out of my control. Yeah. I always say we're, you know, hold on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I think some famous uh, actor said that years ago. But it's true. You don't know when you're beholden to a global economy what you're headed in for. Right, right. However, this past year has been a, a very impressive year for you. I mean, you were named, you know, in, in 2018, you were named the uh, Woman Business Owner of the Year in Chicago and Certified Woman yeah. Business Enterprise. So, I mean, those are two very significant recognitions. They are, and I'm very delighted to get the acknowledgement of both my female and male peers out there. It's kind of an uncomfortable situation for me. I but I think um, because I spend my days in the scrapyard or in manufacturers, I'm just, the accolades are a little bit unusual for me and I'm still getting accustomed to it, which I guess is a good sign. Well, being humble is a good sign. Yes. <laughs> we were also named just recently to uh, Cranes as the notable woman of man in manufacturing and enterprising woman magazines, 2019. Yep. That was really exciting for me because yeah. being acknowledged for manufacturing in Chicago, which has been my only market my whole career, was, you know, was 30 women chosen for that. I think I was the only one that was a founder and an owner. Um, and there were several women from public companies. So you can't help but revel in that and go like, wait a second, I started this on a home equity loan and I'm in cranes. Right. It was it was my Cinderella moment. Oh, that's great. That's great. And you're giving back, I mean, you know, to your community and, and, and mentoring other women. I, I know the, the list of groups that you're involved in is like a who's who, the Chamber of Commerce, Women in Manufacturing, you know, Girls in the Game, Boys and Girls Club of Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about what th these groups that you've been involved with and how it feels for you? Well, I got introduced to NABO, the National Association of Women Business Owners, about five years ago. And I think when I when I got in that room, it was the first time that I was in a room with other women and I felt really comfortable and I felt really connected and not in a competitive situation. But really, I found a group of peer women that I could let my guard down to and talk to about the things that were like very frustrating and anxiety producing. And then with things like um, the Boys and Girls Club of Chicago or Girls in the Game is I was pretty much a latchkey kid. So finding good, constructive things for children to do after school and before their parents return home from work is important to to me and and in, in creating future generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you're saying it because you've got your firsthand witness to the to a lot of things that are unfair about women in business. But what are the things that you think we need to do differently to get ahead? And, and how or in what ways are we sabotaging ourselves? There are so many ways that women can sabotage themselves. <laughs> well, and you touched on one by undervaluing your asset. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We not only do it just innately through our sociology, but we also do it via all the advertisement that we see now even more so ever 
than before. I mean, we see, I can't imagine what the number of ads are we see throughout the whole day, but I know I've heard the number quoted someplace and those women are all perfect. So there still is the need to bring home the idea that, that a woman can come in all sorts of shapes, sizes, colors, and whatever, and she adds value. She's a unique individual. Yeah, so, and interestingly, I mean, every, all the studies that are out there that talk about female leadership on a board level or in just in senior leadership roles at companies, it's proven that those companies are more successful. So why is it still that only, I mean, I think the number was like 15% of women are in leadership positions in all companies today? Well, I think that women tend to build a consensus around them and they create a organization that is driven towards the same directives. It's very goal oriented. For instance, my employees know that if we hit certain markers or certain goals, that, that there's going to be more either at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year, and they're going to share in that more. And that way everybody is committed and, and connected to the overall good. Mm. And what about organizations like women in manufacturing? I mean, how that's a relatively young group, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I've seen some of their programming. It's very educational and it's good. I am not a really good student in general anymore at this point in my life. My ADD takes over. So sitting in on too many webinars is not always the best thing for me. <laughs> oh, well, and many others. So yeah. you're, pres you're president-elect or you're going to be president, excuse me, you're going to be president in June for the NAWBO. What are the priorities going to be? I mean, what are the things that if you could say, gee, if I could just accomplish this one thing this year, what would that be? Well, one, one of the initiatives that National is putting into place and I'm looking forward to helping institute as the second largest chapter in the nation is the next generation. And the next generation is obviously focusing on the women that are up and coming and helping nurture and uh, mentor them. And I've gathered together some younger women who not only are in manufacturing, which is harder to find in, in women in, but into a lot of different services areas. And I'm, as I become, get seated as president, learning more, what, what, what are some of their things that are keeping them up at night and what do they want to learn more about and what can women of my generation and younger generations help them with. That's wonderful. So, I mean, you had an influencer. It sounds like your father was an influencer in a, in a number of ways, but just looking back, who were your biggest influencers? Maybe you could just share you know, a story with us. Well, my father certainly was a, a great influencer. He was a wonderful businessman, but I, I worked for a couple of people that I admired greatly or that I didn't necessarily have hold in such high regard. And so learning the lessons that they taught me and then holding on to them and keeping them near to me to make sure that I either institute them into what I'm doing in, at Alpha on a daily basis or make sure that they're, in my mind, sort of a cancer that I want to keep away from the organization. Mm. Having a company is kind of like having another child. You know, you have to nurture it from all the different areas and, and keep reevaluating what its needs are and meeting them. And you built this company. I mean, we, we haven't talked about the fact that you have you have two children and you were a single yes. mom building this company. Yes, I was in the um in two thousand and six. Yes. I became single and the company was still young and and um the kids were still very young too at the time. And I sometimes, you know, like think about everything I accomplished in just a day. And honestly I could get tired just thinking about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I get it. You look back and you say, how the heck did I do it? All right. And, and then we didn't have as much technology at the same time. So it wasn't like you'd be like, oh, I'll put this on speakerphone and I'll put this on Bluetooth and, and I'll cook and, and wipe the table at the same time. Well, so it's, but it was an interesting point. Thank you for that with the, the influencers, because it's not necessarily a, a good influencer. It can also be equally as impressive to have somebody who you just say, I will never do what that person did. One of the things that I always have said to my children is, and, and people in general, is more oftentimes you'll find something that you don't want to do than something that really excites you and you become passionate about. And that could be when you're moving and you see how hard the movers have to come and work to move your house and you think they they have to do that every day. You realize that might not be something you want to do. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. So just in, in terms of the next step in your business, where do you see it going in the next couple of years? Next, you know, I'm not going to ask you next five years or 10 years, but where do you see your business going in this industry? It's my desire and my ambition and my will and determination along with my succession plan that will continue to bring the company forward in the next three to five years uh -huh. in a growth state. We've been growing currently at a rate of 35% a year for the last four years. Wow, that's impressive. It's impressive. We've had a little setback this year, and my anticipation is this is sort of a, a recoup year. Mm -hmm. So right at that moment when I'm getting the Cranes Award and I feel like Cinderella, I also had a crashing reality come down with the portion of business that I had. So you can never fall off your game, no matter how established or well-developed you think your company is. You always have to be engaged in it and growing it and looking at your customer mix and making sure that you're well diversified and insulated from any real damage. Which is not easy. No, it's not. And I, and, and it, over the year, because I've been asked to speak on a lot of different things and I'm still becoming accustomed to it, I talk about always managing your risk. And then I realized today I was thinking about, you know, knowing your worst case scenario, managing your risk. And people might not know, what does that really mean? What are the questions that I should be asking myself before I put myself in a risk situation? And I guess the way is one has to ask themselves is, if I fail here, what will be the downside? And can I manage that downside? And if you ask yourself, the downside is, is that I'll just be exactly where I was before I took the risk, then it's beholden to you to go ahead, take the risk, engage in it, have the fear, and if you succeed, you're going to have more on the other side of it. So the fear of risk is is big. And I, I would suspect that if people did studies on it, they would see that women tend to be a little bit more risk adherent than men. I think women in general are more risk adverse. I have not been. <laughs> no, <we're definitely> not. <laughs> um, but that was also because I always brought everything back down to the basics. You know, did I have shelter? Did I have health? Did I have food? And those were my children well. If I could manage all of those things, then having somebody reject me for a piece of business wasn't so bad. Yeah, certainly puts it in perspective. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, question then, are your boys going to be in the business? My oldest son did work with me for a period of time uh -huh. and he may re-enter, he may not. You know, this is his life and his opportunity to experience what he wants to do. And my other son is an artist. Ah, okay. So, so, so in terms of your succession planning, where do you see that? Or I, that's a chapter. That's an interesting question. So since we're a WBE, a women business enterprise, I have a young woman, Renee Zastro, who's worked with me for a couple of years now. 
and she came to Alpha via the world's largest scrap company and has a, a great deal of experience and she's a very good process person. So the plan right now is, is that somewhere in the distant future, but not too, too distant, I will step aside and this company will be a legacy company and not necessarily a second generation company. Right, right. Which equally proud. Yes. I mean, to me, Renee exemplifies the work ethic, the strength and character and the the care uh, and love of of employees, that mission. And I feel that that legacy will continue on very solidly with her. That's wonderful. And she's she's lucky to have you as her mentor. Yes. She's actually just finishing up the Goldman Sachs 10K SB program. She's graduating this week. Uh-huh. And she's making a pitch on expanding the business. So it's a real exciting time in Alpha's history. That's wonderful. So looking back, and I actually, I, maybe it's not a good idea to look back, but what advice would you give to yourself in your 20s or your 30s or even your 40s? You know, I think if I always say, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have wasted so much less time and energy worrying about what other people were thinking or how I came across here or how I came across there. I think I would have owned a greater sense of confidence. And I have to say to people, you know, who are in their 20s and 30s, that this is the time for you to take risks. I was 39 when I started my company. And if you haven't started a family yet and you haven't made huge financial commitments out there, but you have an idea and you have a passion, it's beholden again to you to explore it. Because unless you turn over that stone, unless you take that risk, unless you make yourself vulnerable, you'll never know what you could have done. Right. That's how you reach your potential. That's beautiful. Thank well, you. Edie, thank you. That's we're, we're coming up on the end here. I feel like I could just listen to you forever. But thank you for sharing your excellent insights and, and wisdom with us. And for our listeners out there, if you are or if you're in this business or you're interested in learning more about what Edie is doing with her company, with Alpha Metal Recycling, you can go to their website at www.alphametalsrecycled.com. That's alphametalsrecycled.com. And goodbye for now. We'll see you on our next program. Thank you. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.